This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Tim and his minions were taking Will and Magborn back to the Daffodil Kingdom so they could witness its destruction. But on their way, they had to pass over the Black Sea. A violent storm swept over the boat and nearly destroyed it along with its entire crew. Tim pleaded for Will to help, and just before the boat was on the verge of being torn apart, Will and Magborn used their pixie magic to push the ship to safety. 
Soon after they reached land, they noticed another boat following close behind. And now for episode 18. Be ye warned. As the sun hid behind the trees and started to dip below the distant mountains, Tim and his minions frantically searched for a good place to set up camp. No, no, you barkers! Not in the clearing! Tim shouted. Why don't you just light a big bonfire while you're at it? Set up the tents behind the boulders over there. We need to be out of sight of the main path. Yes, sir, a dark fairy answered. He folded back up the tent and flew over to the boulders. The big round rock stuck out in the forest and would have been the first place I'd look for someone. It was hard not to notice them. They were smooth and grey and covered in fossils, ancient remains and imprints of plants and animals that lived long ago. There was one imprint of a massive swirling seashell and another of the skeleton of an enormous bird. Its wings were stretched out as though it had died mid-flight. All around it were dozens more fossils of leaves and shells, dotting the rock and begging to be examined. It would have been the last place I'd hide. But Tim was too frazzled to think it through. He kept looking back through the trees nervously. Ever since we'd seen that ship following close behind, he'd become skittish. Had his minions not been so exhausted from the storm, I'm sure he would have marched them deeper into the forest. But this was the best they could do. Without rest, they'd be in no condition to seize control of the Daffodil Kingdom. Muffling Em's ears from the obnoxiously loud hoddles, I rocked her to sleep with the little space I had in my net. Trembling in the net next to me, Magborn looked sick and weak, like he'd been bitten by an ink eel or something. Are you okay? I asked him. All be fine, Scrub, he whispered. Just worry about your sister. There was a thought. Of course I was worrying about M. I always was. But she was on a long list of things that worried me. I was worried about my clan that was about to be enslaved by Tim and his dark minions. I was worried about my parents and their safety. Would I have to go all the way back to the temples to get them? Or would they be able to remember their way back home? I worried about Magborn. It looked like he'd taken a dozen Lika darts. His face was growing paler by the minute. Full of worry, I looked through my net at Tim, who was still rounding up his minions and ordering them behind the fossil-covered boulders. After hiding his giffle, he glanced back at me, his big-toed eyes full of doubt. It wasn't the first time he'd given me such a look. I'd gotten many funny looks ever since we'd made it ashore. Something was on his mind. When night fell and the stars glittered above us, I shuffled over to Magborn's net, trying not to wake Em in the process. Magborn! Hey! Magborn! Magborn opened his eyes. What? I just wanted to make sure you were alive. Scrub, if you see my chest moving, that means I'm alive. Now go to sleep. You're gonna need the strength. How could you sleep at a time like this? I asked. Simple. You close your eyes and stop talking. Aren't you scared? Even a little? Magborn propped himself up in his net. I will. You'd have to be dead not to be scared in times like these. 
but I've seen enough battle to know that if you don't swallow your fear, you'll never make it out alive. You have to push it out of your head and into your belly. It sits heavy and sour, but at least your mind is clear. And you will need a clear mind if you're going to be wielding Pixie in battle. Okay, I'll try, I whispered. I glanced at the crystal necklace around his neck and nodded to it. What's the story behind that necklace? Why did the Tulip Queen have me deliver it to you? Magborn fingered the crystal and feathers. She and I have a long history. She was my first and only love. We went on many adventures together, suffered through much together. This necklace, forged by her ancestors, saved us on several occasions. It became a symbol of our unshakable bond. Wow, what happened to you two? Magborn waited for one of the Hartles patrolling camp to march by. Once the lumbering turtle passed, he continued. Responsibilities happened. Duty wedged its way between us until it pulled us apart. I haven't seen her in years. Magborn stared into the mushroom crystal, his eyes full of fond memories. She still loves you, you know, I said. I mean, obviously, if she cared enough to have me deliver it to you. Do you still love her? Magborn's bearded mouth managed a slight smile. Neither time nor death can snuff out love, Scrub. It'll follow you around like a pesky fly. I smiled. I hope you two find your way back to each other. Ah, if the light wills it, it'll be so. I looked up at the night sky for Mother Moon. I could use her words of comfort. I could use a little love myself. If she was up, she was hidden somewhere behind the trees. Magborn followed my searching gaze. I don't want you talking to her, he said. What's that? Mother Moon, I don't want you talking to her. At least not out loud. If you need to speak with her, do it in your heart like every other normal fairy. I don't want to hear any more of this nonsense that you've seen her or heard her voice on the wind. These are dangerous times. If you must pray, do so in silence. In silence? I almost argued with him, but I was too tired and unfortunately he was right. I probably shouldn't be burying my soul out loud, especially in a place like this. Okay, I said. Can I practice using the necklace? Help yourself. Magborn handed it to me through his net. I took it and carefully shuffled over to Stella, who lay asleep in her net. She was badly wounded. Up close, I could see the deep scars the minions had inflicted upon her. She winced and trembled at my touch. Don't worry, Stella, I whispered. I'm going to make you feel better. Or at least try. Just hold still. Stella whined quietly as I rested my hand on her back. Closing my eyes, I called the knight's pixie to me. While I was at it, I reached for some of M's pixie. But when I called for it, there was nothing there. She was empty. Startled, I opened my eyes to see if she was okay. She was fine, fast asleep. That's odd, I thought. But then I realized it was probably just because she was so exhausted from the journey. I could barely find any strength myself. 
Holding my hand against Stella, I pictured the glowing flakes of Pixie entering her crippled form and mending the broken pieces. The crystal necklace glowed brighter the harder I focused. Warmth filled my hand and rushed up my arm. Stella clicked and purred happily. Regaining her strength, she stood up in her net. One last push of Pixie and I could feel light burning brightly in the scorpion. A light that told me, somehow, that the healing was complete. Slowly I lowered my hand and the crystal necklace dimmed. Will, behind you, I heard Magborn say. I quickly turned to see Tim standing behind me, holding his jagged sword. His eyes looked wild, his posture menacing. He raised his sword. I cowered in my net. Wait, Tim, no! Snap! Tim's blade sliced through my net and the black strands dropped to my feet. Shh, Tim hushed. Don't get us killed. He turned and cut Magborn free of his net. Stunned, Magborn got to his feet and stretched his sore limbs. What are you doing? I asked. What does it look like I'm doing? I'm setting you free, Tim quietly croaked. But why? Tim looked over his armored shoulders. Just go, before I change my mind. I've sent a guard at that end of camp to bed, so you should be clear. No lights, no fires, no sounds. He pointed his slimy finger at M. Keep that little thing quiet, or the Giffles will be after you in no time. I tightened M in her pack and strapped her to my back between my wings. Come with us, I said. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay in the dark forever. Tim hesitated. He looked at his sleeping minions and then back at me. My path is chosen, he said sadly. I'm a slave to hate. Go, warn the Daft Council that we attack at sunrise. Get everyone out before then. The Dark One will at least be pleased that we took the kingdom. I embraced Tim who stood as stiff as a board. Thank you. I whispered. Go, Tim said. I pulled away and looked at our scorpion. Let us take Stella, I said. She feels well enough to walk on her own. I can lead her out. No, Tim said. There's no knowing what that scorpion will do if I set her free. She stays with us. I won't leave without my sword, Magborn said weakly. Tim rolled his eyes and then retrieved the box with our Zaxlins. Quietly and quickly, he unlocked the chest and opened it for us. Both Gabriel and Smoke flew up out of it and into our hands. Go now, Tim repeated. If I have to say it again, I'll wake them all up. We're gone, I said. With Tim standing watch, Magborn and I crept out of the camp and disappeared into the forest. A couple of hours later, we made it to the Daffodil Kingdom. We flew out of the trees and my heart raced as Emerald Creek came into view. Its babbling waters rushed through the tall grass and under the tall, thick trees. Lights were dimmed in the tiny tree houses and I can see our glorious willow up ahead at the end of the field. The indescribable joy of seeing home after a long, hard journey was quickly overshadowed as I looked out over Tim's old swamp. Tim. He'd be marching his army through here in the morning. 
Emerald Creek and the entire Daffodil Kingdom would never again know a peaceful night like this. Who knows what the minions would do to it? They'd probably cut our willow down, wash their swiffle giffles in the swamp, and house their dark fairies in our trees. Come tomorrow, all of it would belong to the Dark One. We flew as fast as our wings would carry us to the Daffodil Palace. The old olive tree, despite its beautiful stained glass windows, looked gloomier since I last saw it. Two daffodil guards in shiny green armor stopped us at the door. Willem Wingling, the captain said. We thought you were dead. We have to speak with the council. It's an emergency, I told them. Seeing the desperation in my face, the guards stepped aside and opened the door. Head to the council room, the captain said. We'll round up the council members and have them meet you there. Hurry, I said. Magborn and I waited anxiously in the main chamber for everyone to arrive. I paced around the royal council room, quickly looking at the door with any sound I heard. There were many false alarms. What's taking them so long? Finally, the door opened, and one by one, the council members stepped through, shuffling their feet and rubbing their eyes. Looking like they were sleep-flying, they fluttered up to the root table that spiraled around the walls and took their seats. Only one seat was empty. I recognized it immediately. It was the seat of Daff Jai Jibby, the traitor. Welcome back, Mr. Wingling, said Daff Mandelaine. Her yellow hair hung down over her green gown and curls. You have survived your journey. We were informed that you and your family were killed on your way to the Dandelion Kingdom. Who told you that? I asked. Our very own Daff Jibby, Mandelaine replied. He sent us word of the news during his visit to the neighboring kingdoms. We were told to store all pixie reserves since the new queen had not survived. Is that where you thought he was? Visiting the neighboring kingdoms? I stared at them, all in their fancy clothes, comfortable and clueless. You really are daff, I told them. Jai Chibi has betrayed our clan. At this very moment he lays asleep with a dark army just outside the forest. They plan to attack at first light. Daff Mandelaine and the other council members exchanged a look of amusement. Chai Jibby is leading a dark army and plans on destroying his own people? Mandelaine asked smugly. He's not leading the army, he's joined them, I said. We have to evacuate the clan immediately. Oh, Willem, Daff Sosia chuckled. He shook his chubby, powdered face. He always knew how to stir up a crowd. See here, he's brought a beggar into our royal council room. The other council members snickered. Magborn, a weak, robed figure, struggled to step forward. His braided beard quivered as he spoke. My name... I, I am... This is Magborn, I said proudly. A great pixie wielder who has saved me and M, and in turn has saved this kingdom. You will show him the respect he deserves. Oh, certainly, Daff Sosia joked. Was this the man who warned you of the pending doom? No, I said. Magborn and I were captured by Tim and his dark minions with the help of Jai Jibby. 
By some miracle, Tim set us free and told us to warn you. Hold on, Daft Mandalayne said. Tim? Timothy Toad, I clarified. He leads the army of minions. The Dark One has tasked him with the destruction of our clan. Surely you don't mean that sorry washed-up frog from our swamp? Mandalayne replied. I nodded. He's a powerful leader of the Dark. He means what he says, and he says he's set on burning our kingdom to the ground. You hear that? Socia laughed. Oh, frumpy toad Tim is coming to get us. <laughs> the entire council burst into laughter. It's true, I shouted. He's coming to kill us all, you fools. We have to warn the daffodils. The council members laughed some more. A hush swept over them. The surprised faces looked past me. I turned and saw Tim, standing in front of the door in full black-spiked armor, sword in hand. His armor scraped and clanked as he walked past me and stopped in front of the council. Willem Wingling, a member of one of your most trusted families and guardian of your new queen, speaks truth, Tim said. Your kingdom will fall. At sunrise, I bring an army great enough to lay waste to every tree at home by midday. Be ye warned. The dark is at your doorstep. <coughs> the room fell silent. Suddenly, Daff Socia exploded into laughter. His chubby cheeks shook and he threw his head back, cackling loudly. Pretty soon, the entire council was laughing again, pointing at Tim and musing about the imposter in his costume. Tim, with a vicious scowl on his face, turned and walked away. He stopped once he reached me. See, Will? See what it's like? Thought I was crazy, you did. Listen to it. These are the last laughs I'll have to endure. Yeah. My stomach twisted into knots as I watched Tim walk out the door. How had I never noticed? It was like I was seeing my own people for the first time. Seeing their weakness, their foolishness, their vulnerability. They were going to sit here and do nothing while our clan was destroyed. If they weren't going to make preparations, I would. Shaking my head, I took Magborn and stormed out of the council room. Willem, a voice called to us as we stepped out of the palace. We turned and saw the guard captain emerge from the shadows. Are we in trouble? He asked with a worried expression. Yes, we are, I told him. The dark attacks at dawn and your royal council plans to do nothing. Are you loyal to your queen, sir? The square-jawed captain puffed out his chest. I've sworn to protect her. I will do so with my life if I must. Then hear this now. Your queen, here in my pack, is in danger. Everyone is in danger. We need to prepare our people. Take us to the Daffodil Armory. The captain smiled. Right away. He and a couple guards took us behind the palace and led us down a hollow route into a stone chamber. Beyond the locked door were shelves upon shelves of swords and bows, most of them covered in dust and cobwebs, untouched for generations. 
Drop off at least one weapon at every door, I instructed. Don't bother waking anyone. We have no time to explain and even less time to assemble. They'll hear the horns. The guards nodded and took as many weapons as they could before flying out of the armory. Magborn and I did the same, only Magborn barely had the strength to carry a few small swords. The more I looked at him, the more worried I became. He looked deathly ill, on the verge of collapse, and yet he insisted on pushing on. Together we flew from one treehouse to another, setting swords and bows in front of the doors and racing to get every house armed before sunrise. Pink and orange light spread into the clouds above. As the sky brightened, I zipped from tree to tree, frantically placing the swords and practically throwing them onto doorsteps towards the end. Just as I set the last weapon at the last door, the horns blew. Nut Rocketerios. We are almost to the climax of Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Just a couple episodes left of this story. I'm excited for this next episode, I'm not gonna lie. Now, I know this was mentioned briefly, but at one point in today's story, we heard Will mention boulders that were covered in fossils. I'm sure most of you out there have seen a fossil at one point and know what I was describing. Fossils, like the story says, are the preserved remains, impressions, or traces of plants or animals from the past. To be considered a fossil, these remains or imprints usually need to be around 10,000 years old. They're ancient. The study of these fossils is called paleontology. And paleontologists study fossils because they can teach us about the history of the Earth. There are a couple types of fossils. The first type is called body fossils. These are the preserved remains of a plant or animal's body, like dinosaur bones or teeth. These ancient bones are literally part of a dinosaur's body. The other type of fossil is called a trace fossil. Trace fossils are the remains of an activity of an animal, such as preserved footprints. So again, there are body fossils and trace fossils. And where do we find these fossils? Well, they're found all over the world, usually in sedimentary rocks such as limestone or sandstone. Interesting fact, the word fossil is derived from the Latin word fossilis, which means obtained by digging. And that's basically how we find these suckers. We dig for them. If any of you have come across a fossil, like say an imprint of a shell in rock, you might have wondered, how did that fossil form? How did it get there? Well, there are a number of ways fossils are created. Some fossils can be preserved in hardened tree sap called amber. Jurassic Park illustrates this by showing how an ancient mosquito from the age of dinosaurs was perfectly preserved in amber. 
Carbonization can also create fossils. That's when all the elements of a living organism dissolve except for the carbon, which leaves behind a residue that creates an outline. There are also casts or molds. Those are the imprints of plants or animals that we talked about. That's when the organism dissolves into the earth and leaves a hollow mold behind. That mold can then be filled in by other minerals that essentially create a statue-like mold of the organism over time. Some fossils are preserved in ice, like woolly mammoths. So freezing is a form of creating fossils. And there's also permineralization, which is when mineral deposits form a cast of the organism. The empty spaces of the organism become filled with mineral-rich groundwater. The minerals precipitate from the groundwater and fill those empty spaces. And when those minerals fill all those spaces and harden, you have a very detailed fossil. I want to challenge all of you out there with the help of an adult or guardian to look up some examples of these fossils. They're really cool, and I bet you you have a local museum that has plenty of fossils on display. So check them out. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Winglings Under the Willow Tree, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Until next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.